0: We're in Ecclesiastes and we're walking our way through the book of Ecclesiastes and Solomon introduces a sea change or a visual change this morning in verse 1. We've said that of chapter 3. We've said that as a theme for this series that life under the sun without the son, son Jesus Christ, in our life and in relationship with Him in this life, is no fun. That it's subject to frustration, It's subject to brokenness. It's it's subject subject to finality. It ends. Relationships end. Our own life will end. But notice that He says not simply under the sign, but He adds in verse 1 of chapter 3, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. I uh, recently, well this summer, I lost my glasses and could not find them. And so I called uh, an optometrist and said, I need to replace my glasses. And he said, well sure, come on in for an eye exam. And I was like, well I don't really have time for an eye exam, just just give me the same prescription that I had before for eyeglasses. And he said, oh, no, 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 not at, not at your age. And I was like, what? And he's like, well, as you get older, even annually, your eyes begin to get weaker. And things that we compensate as human beings, things that I saw with my old glasses I actually began to miss some things so that with a new prescription and new glasses that I received, I saw things in a fresh light or in a fresh way. And here Solomon is saying, look at things now in the light, not simply under the sun, but look at things in light as to how they operate in heaven. Thy kingdom come, we pray in the Lord's prayer. Thy will be done as in heaven. So like a good optometrist, Solomon says with verse 1, let's check your eyesight and how you perceive God working in this life from heaven. Now, this is going to take a minute, this eye exam, But I want you to see a couple of scriptures to understand afresh and anew how truly everything happens in a season. It says, for everything and time for every matter. So every season and every time, everything that occurs, people, places, and things, is happening in God's time God is the master timekeeper it is everything that occurs everything that occurs in our life with people places and things God is in control God as we will often say is sovereign So that means that God sitting in the throne of heaven above from heaven's throne room is not wringing His hands in distress over the oops and the bad seasons or the unlucky times that occur in our life. It's going exactly according to His schedule. He is sitting in heaven over all time, above all time, in control of all time, for unending time, for eternity. Let me direct you to a couple of scriptures for this eye exam as we get into this. Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 11. Now, this is important because Isaiah is speaking to a people... Who have begun to lose sight of who God is. And here Isaiah says, Your God, Israel, God's people, two rivers, your God is not like other gods or idols. Remember this and stand firm. Recall to your mind, you transgressors, remember the former things of old. He's trying to, he's saying, draw deep on your memory. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. Calling a bird of prey from the east the man of my counsel from a far country I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Even to the degree that he calls a bird or an eagle from the east, he has a decree, a purpose, a will that is set in motion. Unlike any other God, he says, I'm a God, and what I say and I decree, I will do, and it will be done. That's our God. Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, and really it could be the whole section, but I'll just go to a couple of verses. Verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. God knew this morning where you would be at eleven o six. He knew that you'd be sitting right there. It's no accident. And you may say, well, no, wait a minute, preacher. I planned on... You planned because He planned for you. He called you here this morning. People. Verse 13. And particularly expectant mothers and fathers. For you formed my inward parts... You knitted me together, that means wove me together, in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your temperament, your personality, your likes, your dislikes, your body features, all that was scripted. You're not a robot, but the way you feel about things, the way you think about things, your, your unique personality, your gifts, you're one of a kind. But it's not by accident. It's not by your design. It's by God's design who sits above all time, and it is for a purpose, it's for a time even such as this. It's important. Um, Acts, a couple of quick examples. Acts uh, chapter 9, uh, verse 11 and 12. Now, Saul has become Paul. I mean, Saul has become a Christian. Saul was persecuting the church. And Ananias is sent to um, speak to Saul and tell him about this new faith. He's encountered Jesus on the Damascus road and Ananias as one of Jesus' disciples is being directed by God to go speak to Saul. Now watch this, verse 11 of Acts 9. And the Lord said to him, that is Ananias, rise and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul for behold he's praying. In other words God is saying look Here's the street, here's the address, here's what he's doing. Here's his name. God knows all of those things. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. You're in the script, Ananias. I've given him a vision of your face. And he has seen you come in and lay his hands on him. That's a future event so that he might regain his sight. Acts 17. Acts 17, if uh, we're missing them this morning, but some of you know uh, Chris and Linda McClellan. This is one of his favorite verses to, describe, to say that God is over our place. The street that you live on, where you're living right now, where you're working or where you're going to school, a sovereign God has planned that. It's no accident. Now again, Solomon is setting us up here to say, you must understand that this is how things under heaven operate. You didn't just choose to live where you lived. Yes, you, are a ch- you made a choice because you're not a robot, but God knew it. He foreordained it. He influenced you to do that. Acts 17, verse 24. Um, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, in other words, being the Lord over it, being the ruler over it, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. So he made everybody that lives on the earth, he made them, but he also directs them having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. The time that they will live in a certain home or a certain country or a certain city and where they live is all a matter of God's timing. Not simply our own. Alright, now you're saying, I know all that. Well, Solomon knew it too. But he's freshly reminded as he looks out over all of the world. He's now got a fresh perspective of God's timing on all of these matters. I, uh, I've been, my personal devotions have found me in Daniel. In uh, the, the last number of days. And Daniel was a prophet. Uh, people, Daniel was one of the exiles of Israel. They were taken to Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar is the king. He has a dream. Daniel comes and he interprets that dream. And Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan, a pagan, will say, There is no God like this God. Because none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? So, how are you doing? How are you facing God's timing each day? Do you have a sense that every day, whether you're in the home or you're in the, 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 the workplace or in the classroom, wherever you're found, that God didn't just, like a, a deist, He didn't just wind up the world and didn't take a step back such that things that occur in the course of your day are either arbitrary or impersonal. God is personally involved in your day. So that everything that occurs at every moment of the day, God is involved in. We were freshly reminded of this yesterday. We were coming back uh, from uh, Simpsonville, having visited with a great-great-aunt, a great-great-uncle. And we're on the way back and we had Emerson with us and we stopped to see a a son that's in the Greenwood area. Small town there. And so we Googled a way to get back to the highway. And it took us through, I mean, we were way out in the country. And we had to go to the bathroom. Okay, I mean, it's a body function. Not trying to be crass. But there was no place to stop. And yes, yes, we know, we know. There's always forest and everything. But we were like, wow, bad timing. Boy, wouldn't it be great, Lord? You know, I've got to go to the potty. Wouldn't it be great if there was... Look at that. They're making a road and there's three porta-potties right there. Now, what do you, what do you say? If you're not aware, if you're not sensitive to God being active in your day, in your hours, in your minutes, in your seconds, you're going to say... Aren't we lucky? Or you're going to have a sense that you're like God and you control your own destiny. In other words, well, I'm going to make something happen. I'm going I'm I'm to change it up. I'm going to control time here. Solomon says we can't. Solomon says we're only going to be subject to frustration when we try to. Back to Ecclesiastes 3, verses 14. He says, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. You cannot edit God's timing for your life. God has done it. It is set into motion. And where I'm going with this is, for God's people, that's a good thing. That's a, that's a very comforting thing. In verses 2 through 8. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Look at verses 2 through 8. We don't have slides this morning, by the way. Hope you brought a Bible. We do provide Bibles. We encourage you at Two Rivers to, to bring a scripture so that you can uh, see God's word for yourself. mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, excuse me. Okay, so look at verses 2 through 8 like you would a list of ingredients to make a cake. You need two primary items. You need sugar and you need flour. Now, looking at this list, I like the sugar. I like babies being born. I don't like the flour of people dying. I, I like planting. I don't like so much the fall of the year when I need to pull the flowers that have faded and died as well as the weeds. You know, I like healing. I don't like killing. But we all like cake. And in this list, there's a there's a list in this timing of things that are very, very delightful, but things that are also very disquieting. The... The, the, the tune of my life is interrupted. The, this is a, 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 an English, well, I'd say English, but this is a literary device that Solomon, the wisest man of the world, is using. It's called a mericism, where he will take two terms, polar opposite, and it covers the breadth and the range by these two poles. So that you can see that there's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. And in the middle is all of human existence. When he says there's a time to weep, and there's a time to laugh, that's the full range, the whole spectrum of human emotion. And so, in these verses, verses 2 through 8, everything in life, every people, place, thing, issue, event, can fit into these things. And he's saying, we don't really like the disquieting times, but those are still in God's handiwork, and his sovereign design. The flour is as important, if not more so, than the sugar. The timing of it. I, uh, I read last week where there was a family in Scotland that had taken a canoe trip to a very remote area. And they, they canoed into this cabin. And overnight, their canoe disappeared. Now this family, and it must have been a very large canoe, had four children between the ages of 6 and 12. And so they called the officials and they said, we don't know how to get out of here. We're in a, there are no roads that come to this, this area. Uh, we're in a very remote area and our canoe is gone. Can you send someone to help? And they said, yes, as a matter of fact, we can because there's a train track that comes through there. And there's a train that is going to be coming and we're going to direct them to stop and to pick you and your children up in a couple of hours. And don't be surprised when you see this train because it's the Hogwarts Express. It's the train that is used for, to, to convey Harry Potter back and forth to school. And it's coming by and we're going to have them to stop. Can you imagine those four kids when they're standing there and saying, Mom, Dad, this is a disaster. We're we're stuck out here. We don't have any way to go. And look, there's the train. How are you handling the disquiet moments? I can only imagine that father when he found out that word, those words that were... It's going to come. Down that track, the Hogwarts Express is going to come. That those children said, you know what, we can endure this isolation in this difficult patch knowing that in a time it's going to change and it's going to be a glorious change. How do we as God's people handle the disquieting times? How do we handle them? Um, back to Daniel. There was an edict issued by the king at that time of Babylon. And Daniel was one of the wise men. And at this point, he's, he's a bit older. And in Daniel 2, verses 20 through 22, he began to pray because the king had said, I'm going to kill all the wise men unless they're able to interpret my dream. But they also have to tell me the dream that I dreamed. And he said, listen, that's something that Only God can do, but I will interpret your dream, and I will tell you what your dream is. Now, God had not revealed to Daniel yet what that dream was, and so he gets together his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of the fiery furnace fame, fame. and he gets them together, and they pray, and God reveals to Daniel both the dream and the interpretation And then Daniel sings or recites this benediction, doxology. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells within with him. And I put in my journal, Lord, after I read that, I'm in the dark. I'm in the complete dark about a lot of things in my life right now. And I am. Anything you're in the dark about? I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this is happening at the moment. I don't know what to do about it. I don't, I don't know, God. I just feel like I'm in the dark. But here's my comfort. You're not in the dark. All things all things before your throne are as light. That's what, he, that's what he said. He said, he knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. And so as your small child, my little boat on your open ocean is so small And you are so big. But you're my father. And I can trust. I can trust that you see and you know, even though I'm in the dark about it. And that's comforting to me. And that's what Solomon is saying. He's saying some of these things are very disquieting. Weeping, mourning, things being plucked out of our life. These You know, the death of a relationship, the sickness of a child, disease, financial failures. All these things can be very disquieting, but God's not in the dark about them. And so we can begin to rest. and We can begin to trust. And that's what he says in verses 9 through 10. He says, you know, God has given this business to man. And my translation of verse 10 is, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. The children of man is code for the children of Adam. Adam fallen. Adam and Eve, that couple in the garden. Eden, everything that was positive in this list, all the sugar in these ingredients, all the things that were delightful, they occurred in Eden. None of the disquieting things, none of the flour. That did not occur in Eden. But now living in this world with that couple who tried to change the timing of things. Timing seems to be so chaotic. See, here's what's afoot. The preacher, Solomon has been telling us, Lord, I look out over the landscape of life, and I look at the things that I've built, I look at the wealth that I've accumulated, I look at all the wives and concubines that I've had and those pleasures, I look at all the food and, the, and all the wine, and I look at all those things, and things break, and things don't. the joy doesn't last. And the the food, the bread gets stale and the buildings crumble. And my wealth, somebody else is going to inherit it and they're going to foolishly spend it and they didn't work for it. So life without God is chaotic and out of control. But then he ups the ante and he says, but knowing that God is in control and these things still happen, wow, that's concerning. How do I handle the fact that if cancer comes into my family, if financial hardship comes into my family, if, a, if, if relational difficulty comes into my marriage or relationship with another person, be it a, a mate or a friend, how do I handle the fact that God is still in control? And then He knows what's going on. Back to Daniel. We are not... To be like those that say, God, what are you doing? And we're not to be like those who say, let me take charge. Let me, sit down everybody, let me do it with my hand. Let me change the the seasons and the time and the hands on the clock. We're not to do that. We're to Solomon actually says, he says in verse uh, 11 and 12, he said, God makes everything beautiful in its time. It may seem ugly and out of control and chaotic, but God's doing something. He is at work and in its time, at the appropriate time, farmer, you can't see that seed growing under the soil and you're praying for rain, but at the appropriate time, those wheat head that wheat will emerge and then it'll grow tall and then it'll be a beautiful landscape as it blows in the breeze it's like a it's like a movie it's like a it's like going to a movie theater and there's a great mystery movie on and you're you're watching the movie and then the person next to you just will not quit bugging you and i don't like people that talk in movies And I definitely don't like people that talk to the screen or the characters in the movie. But there's always somebody in the movie theater that does that. And particularly during a mystery movie, you know, there's a point maybe halfway through when it's like, no, don't do, what are you doing? Oh, why did they do that? Oh, I wonder what's going to happen. How are they going to solve this? Man, this is a riddle. This is a mystery. And what I want to say is, shh. It's going to work out. It's a movie. It'll be beautiful. It'll have a beautiful ending, but just wait and wait patient. As a matter of fact, verse 12 I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. Get popcorn. Why? Well, you're watching this tense drama and mystery unfold, and it's like, this looks like a disaster. This looks like a train wreck. Get some popcorn. The movie's not over yet. And get some milk duds, the big box of milk duds. And if you go to the Terrace Theater or Cinnabar, get you an adult beverage. Relax. But you don't understand, this is, this is tense. yes. I don't know what's going to happen. No. I want God to explain it. If God will tell me, then I'll feel so much better. If He'll tell me when He's going to change the season. No, He wants you not only to endure the disquieting seasons, the times that our nation's at war, or the time that the the business environment is hostile, or the time that your child is going through a sickness that you just can't diagnose? Or that the relationship just seems to, to not be healing but falling apart? Or when there's a, a family member that's suffering with an addiction or a behavior pattern that I, 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 I just can't be quiet about it anymore, but I don't know how to speak into it? And I don't want to address it, it's just going to upset things. When I want to change the time... God says, I'm at work. Trust me, but I'm not going to answer you. I'm not going to give a press conference. I'm not going to tell you when I'm going to change it and make it beautiful. I'm not going to answer all of your questions apart from what I've already said in my word. The Psalms are a great comfort to us in very disquieting times. Over and over again, they don't solve or change our circumstances, but they change us. And they tell us. They tell us things such as captured by the Heidelberg Catechism. The Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 26. The question is, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? That's the, out of the Apostles' Creed. When you say that, what are you saying? Answer, I trust Him So much that I do not doubt that he will provide whatever I need for body and soul. And that he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world. He is able to do this because he is almighty God. He desires to do this. Because he is my faithful father. I, I would have you know that when you weep, you don't have an impersonal God who's saying, I timed that and I wanted him to cry. You have a very personal father who can say, Jesus wept, as well, You can look at this full range of seasons and timings and events. And you can recount the life of Christ in all of them. And he says that in verse 14, I've, I've done these things, God has done all of this, and He sovereignly rules over all of this time so that people would fear Him. And what he means is, Revere Him. That's that's another word. Or to worship Him as a God unlike all the other gods. It's It's not a trembly fear. It's a respect. And it's coming to see that God has not only so ordered all the time, the disquieting times and the delightful times, but He uses those disquieting times even... To draw us closer, not push us away to himself. Because we can say, Lord, my times and my days are in your hands completely. And you are running and ruling your kingdom. And I'm a part of that kingdom. And there's a purpose in this. And I'm also not alone. And Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ and his life on earth. And you can see this in the Gospels. I would challenge you. And it'd be fun this afternoon, using this list of ingredients in verses 2 through 8, recite or log the occurrences in Jesus' life for each of these things. You see, he was born in this world, and he did die. He died on a cross, and that is historically recorded. He experienced war because he was born at a time of war. Roman oppressed Jerusalem. He certainly, all of these things, he knew what it was like to build up, to build the kingdom of God and also tear down the kingdom of Satan and the demons. He knew what it was like, I believe, to laugh. And I think as Presbyterians, we get stoic and we forget. We don't. We can't imagine our Jesus laughing, but I believe he had throwback head belly laughs so many a time. I actually believe because he was Jewish that he would have gone to weddings, as recorded, of changing the water into wine, and he would have danced. A dancing Jesus. Don't tell the Baptist. When you're sitting alone, and you're sitting alone, and you think in your weeping or in your mourning, In your struggle. And you think nobody knows what I'm going through. Jesus knows what you're going through. We have a great high priest. Who is not separated from those things. But who went through every range of emotion. And physical challenge that we have faced. Or will face. And he sympathizes. He joins us. He welcomes our prayers. And what's more, He's the Son of our Father in whose name we can pray. Lord, I do wish that You would either change the time to again a time of laughter while I weep or that You would remind me of Your presence, Your intimate presence, and You would weep and mourn with me at this time of my loss such that I don't face it alone. But either way, That God would use these times and His seasons even as He builds us up and He prepares us as His people, as His church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've now come to a time where we're going to eat, where we're going to feast. And it's humble bread and wine. And we ask that You would take and use this time with us to strengthen us. To strengthen our faith in you through Jesus Christ. That as we come forward, there are some of us who are in a very, very difficult time right now. Would you feed us to remind us that we are not alone and that you understand. And that we can seek you out and you will be found. Maybe this disquieting time, is such that you want to meet us most here, that we not face it alone. Father, some of us come and we're just full of joy and praise because this is a great time right now and a great season. And we, as we come to this table, we give you our gratitude and our thanks. But we don't just love you when things are good. We love you because you're our God through both those trials trials and the wonderful joys that we can experience. So, Father, we rejoice as we come to this table. We rejoice with this food and this drink and this fellowship, even with you through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.